What a blessedness it is, as was mentioned earlier, to assemble on this first Sunday in the year 2015 to recognize this anchor of the soul, the characteristic association and fellowship that we enjoy with God. It is such a blessing He's permitted us to start each week on His first day with what better possible way than to tie ourselves to that which is His revelation and to, of course, assemble to worship Him, the only true and living God. As we come to this year, of course, we are a bit distinct or different from that challenge we said before ourselves last year where each lesson was based on a text that you and I had read together that previous week. This morning, as we come to a passage in the Colossian letter, chapter 3, verses 1 to 4, we start the year with an emphasis, a few matters to assist all of us in maintaining the matter of zeal that God would have us understand. I thought as we develop that part this, this, this particular morning, some of these thoughts on this slide are perhaps very much easily appreciated by each of us. I believe we all recognize so easily that in terms of the matter of faith, there's a wide variety or a wide set of categories into which individuals may find themselves. There are those individuals who, as you can see on that slide, are very passionate about their religion it very much means so much to them. They're engaged wholeheartedly in it. They look forward to the opportunities to serve God by virtue of their service and faith to Him. On the other hand, there are those that are lukewarm. They are rather disengaged, at least on the whole. And they are very much dispassionate about it. I'm sure all of us can remember times in our lives when we find ourselves in, in one or the other of those categories. It does seem that you and I have a genuine sense that the Word of God teaches He wants us to be passionate, engaged, enthusiastic, eager, and excited. How do we maintain our own zeal? What does God's Word tell us to help us keep directed in such a way that we are not lukewarm and we don't allow ourselves to fall into that description? Maintaining zeal. I hope that this kind of lesson can be a, a great edifying matter and principle for all of us, encouraging us in those simple ways to assist us to maintain our interest and our zeal and our passion for service, for worship, for the other attributes of serving Him. How can that zeal be maintained? Today we'll use this text in Colossians chapter 3 to provide us with some rather simple ideas, helpful guidelines. Let's start that, though, by developing more carefully that sense that you find in that middle section on that slide. What does the Word of God tell us about our passion and our zeal? Ought it to be very much as we have the sense it should? Might I ask you to reflect for a moment on the 42nd Psalm? Only the first two verses of that psalm are needful for us, and it sets before us a principle and a thought that is so very touching and yet profound. As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. As you and I look at only the first verse for a moment, the psalmist in the long ago recognized, apparently that was David, he recognized a yearning and a deep felt sense that he wished, he wanted his soul to be so passionate, so energetic, so zealous after God. Look with me at the words again. As the heart panteth after the water brooks. That word heart means deer, or a deer that is at least commonplace in that part of the world. In the same way that an animal, much like a deer, finds it incessantly needful to actuate where water is. 
So he says, my soul pants after thee. That word pant literally means to have a deep-seated yearning for, a longing for. You'll notice on that slide, the next verse goes on to say, speaking about the thirst that the psalmist's soul had for the God of heaven. And then he asks that amazing question, When shall I come and appear before God? It seems as though the question was asked in such a way, I can't wait for the opportunities to find myself in fellowship with and in communion with God. I might ask, at least in passing, about each and every one of us, does a thought, an expression like those characterize our faith? Do we come, become that excited about the thought of service to Him? Whether it be on Sundays or Wednesdays or yea, other opportunities that may be appearing before us during the week. Surely as we think about the attribute of the psalmist, notice in the 119th Psalm, verse number 131, that same kind of attribute, that yearning, that longing is also expressed relative to His Word. He says, I thirst after, I yearn after thy word. May I ask again, does that characterize you and me when we give thought to this book? Is it held to such a high standard and a high reputation that literally we look upon it as extraordinarily diverse from any other set of documents to which we can turn our attention? I long after thy commandments. The psalmist did say in Psalm 119, verse 140, Thy servant loveth thy word. He loved it. The nature of that love expressed toward that word perhaps brings us to some of the remaining thoughts on that slide. So far, we've seen verses indicating a strong desire and enthusiasm. Maybe the opening psalm will summarize some of these thoughts to this point and prepare us for what follows on that slide. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Psalm 1, verses 1 through 6. When you and I then give thought to what God has done, and I might use this as an opportunity to invite you with interest to revisit us tonight. Look forward to tonight's lesson, for there I've chosen to deliver a lesson about God's provision for us, perhaps in ways that we wouldn't immediately consider. Come back and study with me tonight as we look at God's provision for you and me, stretching back even before the foundation of the world. I hope that will be an interesting study for all of us. For right now, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Among the Beatitudes, the blessed Savior Himself presented, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. One by one, we're using some verses of the Scriptures to set before us the attributes of, of hunger and of thirst and yearning and longing and panting. We know what all that describes, but it's for matters of godliness and matters related to righteousness. No wonder in light of all that God has done for us, the hope that He makes possible for us, Romans 15, 13, the understandings attached to salvation, Isaiah 12, verse 2, you and I then should be 
in a position to have every reason to be zealous for God. Religion should not just be an optional matter. It shouldn't be something that we take or leave. And it ought not be something that's just a very minimal part of our life. It should be far more profound and significant. How do we maintain then that zeal? How do we keep at bay those times in life when our interest wanes and our enthusiasm suffers? Back to our text in Colossians chapter 3, as we look at the first observation, or at least that very first matter the Apostle Paul set before those individuals. I would invite you to notice again as we read Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above and not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with Him in glory. If ye then be risen with Christ, consider for a moment the church in Colossae. There was a well-known part of the region called Asia Minor. And here at the Colossian congregation, the Apostle Paul, as he embedded within their hearts some characteristic features of maintaining zeal, he started chapter 3. If you then be risen with Christ. That phrase, risen with Christ, takes us back to chapter 2 of the same book, verses 11 through 13. And there it has reference to their baptism. If you've been baptized, set your affection on things above. Verse number 1, seek those things which are above. If you and I have taken upon ourselves life in Christ, having been baptized into His body, baptized into Him, you and I must lift our eyes above the mundane horizon around us, for this world is not our home. We sometimes sing a song by that title, This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. If you then be risen with Christ, if you're a Christian... Seek those things that are above. Verse 2 will go on to say, Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. I've entitled this particular idea then, A Matter of Focus. We're told by those who study the, the matters of the mind, be it psychology or otherwise, that there of course is a particular emphasis or focus that individuals choose for life. Some fall into the prey of materialism or worldliness or fame or notoriety. Paul here sets before all of us the simple fact that if we are Christians, set your affection on things above. Seek those things above. And it is with that verb I might ask you to notice. In the Greek text, in the original language, there's an impressiveness attached to them. I would ask you to notice imperative is the description of one of the attributes of that verb. The word imperative describes the fact that this is exceedingly urgent and significant. It's almost as if it's an ultimate commandment. Notice furthermore, it's present tense. We remember from our days of studying grammar that tense tells us the when a given action takes place. The fact it's present tense means this is all the time. It's not just on that day we're baptized. It's not just one day out of a week. Set your affection. Seek those things above all the time in a continuous, constant, ongoing way. Finally, I might ask you to notice, active is the thrust. Active carries with it the action thought of this verb. 
In other words, it's not a passive thing. It's not that we can just sit back and idly allow it somehow to happen for us. We must do it. It takes effort to seek those things above, doesn't it? The devil will make sure it's not easy. He will surround us with that which captures our attention, takes our motivation, and ultimately engulfs us in that which will not allow us to lift our eyes above if we aren't careful. Paul told the Colossians, in the midst of a city so often, in fact, influenced by that which was materialistic and worldly, set your affection on things above. It is with that in mind, the last two thoughts. This was seemingly Paul's way of highlighting a matter in priority. Above all things else, where are your priorities in mind for the year 2015? Are they centered on what's above or are they centered on one way or another what's below? Jesus did say, didn't he, in Matthew 6, borrowing a few of the thoughts out of that chapter. He did say, didn't he, in verse 33, about the ultimate nature of putting first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Earlier in that chapter, I might ask you to reflect on verses 19 to 21. As we do that, notice we often think about it in light of our contribution, but the Lord said, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where today is your heart and mine? Is it focused and centered on ultimately that which is above? If it's not, Paul in the grandest of his ways would urge us to make some changes at once. Not only is it a matter of focus, Paul has much more to say to us and for us. Might we, in fact, develop the next thought like this? You and I might well ask the obvious question. If we've been admonished to seek what's above, how do I do that? What are some ways in which, on a careful basis, easily understood, we can make that occur or at least come about? I might suggest that the verb tenses and the characteristic of this verse suggest the following. We must, if we are to have a strong faith, associate ourselves with God, commune with Him. It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if we're never around someone, even a family member, if we're always distant from them, that closeness will not exist. That degree of nicety in terms of close fellowship will not be present. In many ways, something like that occurs with respect to God, doesn't it? And so the Bible would encourage you and me to make a point of communing with Him on a daily basis. Make time. I'm thankful for the song Jonathan picked a moment ago. He and I hadn't discussed that, but what fortuitous choice he made. Take time to be holy. It seems like such an innocent thought, doesn't it? But yet how powerful it can be in directing the matters of your life and mine. As you and I think about that, consider this. I suppose it's tempting sometimes to think that this matter of taking time to be holy might take hours and hours out of a day. And on occasion, sometimes maybe you and I feel so overwhelmed that that would be important. But it doesn't always necessarily take that much time. Isn't it true that sometimes the small things can be critical matters and ways in which you and I can develop a community and a commune relationship with the God of heaven? 
I would call to think with you about 1 Chronicles 4, verse 9. There we have a prayer uttered, but how brief it was. That prayer could easily have been uttered by Jabez in probably well less than 20 seconds. May I suggest in Nehemiah 13, 31, there's an even shorter prayer than that one. Sometimes it doesn't take 15 minutes to offer a prayer to God, does it? Sometimes I might encourage us to think we can utilize sometimes the sparse moments of a day and yet use them to great advantage as we use them to commune with God. What about some other considerations? Are there times in a day when you have a few spare moments that otherwise might be spent in prayer? Might be spent at least in reflection on what's above? What about stopping at a red light? Many red lights at least hold us for the better part of a minute, at least if you get there at the right time. Could it be that rather than using a cell phone or wondering at the idle sinful signs that I see on marquees about me, I could make a quick 10-second thought of prayer or at least a consideration about what is godly and scriptural? What about those times I sit in a dentist office or some other office awaiting someone else? Could I spend a few moments perhaps in proper reflection? This day and time with technology and smartphones and cell phones and otherwise, sometimes we even have Bibles on our phones. Can I use them to at least read a scripture verse or two? It does make us wonder that when Moses gave instruction to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy chapters 4 through 6, he urged fathers and he urged parents to instill within your children that which is, of course, taught and revealed from the God of heaven. And he stated ways like this, when you rise up and when you lie down. When a child gets ready to go to bed, sometimes there's a few waning moments before his or her eyelids close in sleep and maybe you've got a minute, maybe even less. But you can embed within that child's heart thoughts of righteousness and godliness as you pray with them or read them a Bible story. That doesn't always take so long. Maybe you and I can see encouraging all of this. What a great investment that will ultimately bring for ourselves as well as others whom we might influence. If you then be risen with Christ, seek that which is above. As we, you and I develop that even further, doesn't it immediately recollect for us the danger characteristic of some in the ancient era and can easily be a matter of great problem for us? The children of Israel, who themselves were blessed by God to see so much. Everything from the plagues that came on the Egyptians to a parted Red Sea to manna that they could pick up off the ground six days a week, water coming out of a rock, a land of promise that they would one day enter with great majesty and pride. And yet in Deuteronomy chapter 8, they were told, Lest thou forget the God of heaven. Moses knew that their tendency would be to forget. May I suggest that's what the devil wants for you and me too. He wants us to forget and not lift our eyes above. He wants us to not think about heaven and what it will be like. He wants us not to think about the righteousness and the demands of the Scriptures. He wants us not to think about the importance and the prize and the value of a soul. He wants us to forget. Moses warned Israel, lest thou forget. And Jesus and the New Testament writers warned me and you as well. Maybe in light of all of that, what was that sad saga that Jeremiah proclaimed? God really speaking through him in Jeremiah chapter 2. 
Can a maid forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. You could almost hear a proverbial tear streaming down the face of God as he says, my people have forgotten me. May you and I at Pippin in 2015 not forget the Lord. May we lift our eyes above and set our affection on things not on the earth, but rather on things above. As we close that slide, you'll notice that Revelation chapter 3 issues an incredible invitation. It is an invitation that really speaks to community, communing with God so readily. Verses 20 and 21, If any man will come unto me, I'll open the door and come in with him and he with me. And we will sup and we will commune. But you'll notice you and I have to be the ones to open that door. We have to be the ones to invite him in. In your life and mine, are you and I pushing the Lord away or are we inviting him in? I know so often our nation wants to push him away. We seemingly don't want God in our schools. We don't want Him in the workplace. We don't want Him in government. We don't want Him anywhere. But yet the Bible encourages us, rather than push Him away, invite Him into our life. And oh, what a blessing He shall bring and what a blessing He shall in fact cause to be the case. If you then be risen with Christ, seek what is above. The next observation. You'll notice in this particular passage, this set of verses before us, Verse number 4 said, When Christ, who is our life, there is an attachment, a description that the very utter necessity and nature of our life is all housed in the Christ. And notice that again is for those risen with Him. Why don't we in fact give some appreciation to this? One of those things that can bring sometimes disinterest and that which can bring a bit of despair is the engulfing bad news that seems to be around us. And make no mistake, it's everywhere, isn't it? We have more access now than any generation's past to worldwide news that might well be bad, discouraging, hurtful, and yet we have immediate access to so much of it. One of the things I might ask you to notice is no doubt those pieces of information come before us. But that doesn't mean we have to dwell on it. It doesn't mean it has to feel a vital and excessive part of what is an actual day. For on the other hand, in the Bible, we are always admonished, are we not, to dwell upon what's good. I have asked you to think about it in the following way. The God of heaven provides us that which is so good. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variable, is neither shadow of turning. Twice in that verse we notice the reference to God's provision of that which is good. And yet, with that observation, notice these commandments. We're told in the Bible then to dwell upon, to think upon, to allow to reside in our mind these issues that are good. Philippians 4 verse 8. You will remember the six-fold description of what we find in that passage. And I've tried to highlight bri briefly what, what those terms are. He says, think upon that which is true, that which is honest, that which is lovely, that which is just, that which is pure, and that which is of good report. He said, if there's any virtue and if there's any praise, think on these things. 
might I ask you to notice what he does not say. As he gives a description of what's true, notice that stands opposed to what's speculation or what's mere hearsay. Sometimes we often recognize the appearance of gossip or that which ultimately is not based in fact. It's only some person's presupposition. Paul said, if there's any virtue, think on what's true. Secondly, he makes note of what's honorable. That stands, of course, so distinct from what's shameful, what is inappropriate in the sense of lustful as its base. Think of what's true. Think of what has honor with it. You and I live in an age when that which is dishonorable and that which is shameful is often what people wish us to think on, but you and I must recognize that that is newsworthy must not be that on which we dwell. Remember, seek your affection. Seek what's above. Thirdly, he gives quick observation to what's both just and pure, as opposed to what's unjust and impure. Aren't we surrounded by impurity? It seems almost over the head. Finally, you'll notice what is of good report, not what's bad. As often as we are given information about the other, may we choose to dwell, to ponder and meditate upon what's good, for it will in fact lead us to a higher degree of appreciation to what God would have us to be, that positive individual who not only understands the truth of God, but can greatly influence others. Finally, as you'll come to the bottom of that slide, that will assist us to maintain an attribute of thankfulness, gratitude and appreciation. Surely in light of all those things, that brings us to a final observation. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things above. You will notice that there's one thing we know that's not above. We know that there's no sin there. There is no sin that will ever, ever enter heaven. And that, of course, directly points the finger back to you and me. For if I then wish to lift my eyes, to consider and to set my affection on what's above, I cannot live a life of habitual, constant sin. If so, I know, I know absolutely that I will not be able one day to be in heaven. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things above. No wonder in light of those things, Matthew 6, 24 tells us so easily and so clearly that a man cannot serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, he'll hold to the one and despise the other, but the Lord said you cannot serve God in mammon. We're only fooling ourselves if we think we can live a matter of sinfulness and somehow still set our affection on things above. The two are mutually exclusive. Perhaps in fairness to that, a life of sin is then what will shun God. We spoke earlier about what takes place in the life of some who want to keep God at bay, keep Him at distance, push Him out. Well, God doesn't have any association with sin. And so if a person wants to live a life of sin, he will push God away. He will not want to be where God is because that's uncomfortable. It's not a pleasant place. Some of those feelings are the clear ones that then you and I can be on guard for. If I'm starting to feel in any sense during this year or even any year to follow, 
a matter of displeasing or disfavor with regard to the church. Maybe I'm trying to push God away. There's something in my life that needs to change because I'm not happy being with God, and that's sad. This very day, as you come to the following thoughts on that slide, may I suggest there's one image that is portrayed for us in the Scriptures that sets so clearly the basic meaning and emphasis of all of this, and it's the cross. Think, think, and think again about the nature of the cross. That's something we can do at a red light, and that's something we can do with a few moments of spare time. Take your mind and mind back to the cross. Remember what the Lord did for us, the blood that He shed, the life that He gave. He was pure and innocent and guileless, and yet for me He died, and for you He died. If we can remember that, that will be one matter of assistance to help us maintain our zeal and maintain our desire to commune with God. The question of Psalm 42:2, when shall I appear before God? That's a great question. If, you th- if that thought doesn't excite you, it would be time to make a public response to the invitation of the gospel. If you at this point are an alien sinner, one that has never rendered initial obedience to the commandments of the gospel, at this point you can't lift your eyes above because you're still living in sin. Why not make it right today? The blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse you from sin, set you on a road, a pathway of high and holy living, and a life that will ultimately lead to a blessedness and the eternal climb of heaven. But you must start that journey. Every journey, no matter how long or short, begins with the first step. You need to walk down this aisle today. You need to, in fact, confess faith in Christ, affirming the nature of your repentance. As you then are baptized into Christ, you will be a changed person, ready then to proceed on a life of direction and faithfulness, with eyes fixed on heaven, not on earth. If we could assist you in that way today, why do you wait? If you have become a Christian at some former day and time, but you've allowed faith to wane and become stagnant and cold, why not heat it up again with the flame and fire of the Word of God? Psalm 119 verse 105 still tells us how great that flame could in fact be. If you need to confess error in a public way and beseech the prayers of brethren, why not do that today? And if we could be of assistance to you in maintaining your zeal, Let us pray for your strength and your encouragement. But if in any way we can be of help publicly, why not let us know that? And let's proceed at once while together we stand and while we sing.